We're opening this morning to Matthew chapter 9. It's kind of a special point in the book of Matthew. About a third of the way through, Matthew's going to give us his own testimony, the author of this gospel. Matthew chapter 9 and starting in verse 9. It says, And Jesus passed on from there. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth and said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Lord, teach us from your word this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Again, Matthew here is showing us the healing work of Christ. And again, it has, so, has to do with so much more than just physical healing. The healer. Those who are well don't need a physician. Those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew here is giving us his testimony. Here am I in this tax booth. And he's identifying himself as one of those sinners. This is Matthew's testimony of how Jesus, the healer, came into his life and brought healing to Matthew's life. Um, the other Gospels, when they talk about this event, they, Matthew was also called Levi. I don't know if it's on purpose, but Matthew doesn't want to call himself Levi here like they do in the other Gospels. No, this is me. This is Matthew. I'm the one writing this book. I'm the one who's the sinner in the company of sinners. Um, and if we were at that time viewing Matthew's life, I think we would have agreed. Um, he's a sinner. Sinner who Jesus saved. Tax collectors, maybe tax collectors aren't popular in our time right now, but they were really unpopular then. He was a Jew. Among the Jews, he would have been, uh, this booth probably was, as Jesus was leaving Capernaum, it would have been kind of a border booth where they would be collecting taxes as you're going from one area to another. And, and, and tax, that tax collection was for Rome. It, it, and so just as a Jew collecting taxes on behalf of Rome, he was already a traitor in the eyes of the Jews. But also tax collectors were not known for honesty and, and only collecting what needed to be collected. You know, there was a lot of personal gain in that. And, and they were just, in, in, especially in the eyes of the Jews, they were the scum. They were sinners. And, and the others that were in Matthew's company certainly were sinners, as described here. Not just tax collectors, but not a great bunch. 
Why did Jesus come? Here's our first point on there. He came to save sinners. That's why he was there. That was Jesus' purpose to be there. In verse 10, it says that Jesus reclined at table in the house. The, the other gospels talk more of, as in every story, give more details. This is Matthew's house. Jesus is there. He's called Matthew, who's in the tax booth, and Matthew followed him. And, and what the other gospels make clear is Matthew left everything and followed Jesus. And now there, Matthew's like, come on over to my house. And there's Jesus at Matthew, the tax collector, the sinner's house, dining, enjoying time together with other tax collectors, all of Matthew's friends, and sinners. There were, it's not a great bunch. And in verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Perplexed. You know, we would have asked the same question, had we been there? I'd, and, and we knew it's kind of hard to put ourselves there because we don't see tax collectors that way. We don't, but to try to think of an analogy here, what's a group that, that maybe we would just say are really the lower end? Um, you know, our high schools deal with uh, drugs. It's a terrible thing that our high, schools are fa- our, our high schoolers are faced with um, having to say no or, or struggle with peer pressure with drugs. There are groups bringing that in, right? The, and, and that's not a great bunch. If I was to go look at, the, at that environment, those kind of people, what if, what if Jesus was passing by a drug dealer, some person who's causing such harm in our community? They said, follow me. It's like, I'm going to go follow this guy, Jesus. Jesus, this is great. Here, come, hang out. We're going to go... Uh, downtown Austin, 6th Street, at, the, at, at this great place where all my friends are coming. Come hang out with us. And Jesus goes and starts hanging out with them. And he's just hanging out with them. We, Jesus, what are you doing there? So that's the kind of reaction they're having here. Jesus is at Matthew's house. And Matthew is, is being completely transparent. This is my life that Jesus stepped into, that Jesus came in and said, follow me. I am the sinner the friend of sinners that was just hanging out with sinners, and Jesus became my friend, and he was a friend to the sinners in my life. Jesus came to save sinners. Paul, when he's talking to 1 Timothy, in, in the letter, first letter he wrote to him that we have on record, it says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners sinners. Then he adds, whom I'm the foremost. Something about those who have been saved by Christ really see the desperate sin. He said, I I was a persecutor of his church, and yet he still stepped into my life and saved me. No one knows my sin like I do. No one knows your sin like you do. And when we face our sin and we really see it for what it is, 
There's condemnation that comes with sin. It's, it's there already before Christ even shows up to the picture. Sin, the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. That, this is not a good future that sin buys us. And we all come into this world with a sin nature purchasing our way to eternal damnation. That's, that's, there's no hope in that. And the more we see our sin, we feel the condemnation that goes with it. The guilt and shame, there's a reason why we hide from people. There's a reason why we're not transparent about every part of our life, even with people that we're close to. We don't want some areas to come out because we feel immediately the guilt, the shame, the condemnation. That goes with sin. That's naturally there. God designed us to have a conscience and understand something about sin. But then Jesus enters our life. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save me, a sinner. He came to save you, a sinner. That's the whole reason he came, not to condemn. condemn condemnation was there already. He came to save sinners. Maybe you say, Pastor David, I understand that already. I put my faith in Christ. I'm following Christ. He saved me from my sin. But then you find yourself battling with sin still. The way I just talk to my kids, the way I'm feeling towards this person at work right now, the things that came out of my mouth, the unforgiveness that I'm, I, I see there, but I don't want to deal with it, whatever it is, the vices alcohol, pornography, so many things that, that, are, that are struggles, and we see that, it's, and, and we don't want anybody to see that because there's shame. It's, but I put my faith in Christ, and, but I'm still struggling with the sin that clings so closely. Now what do I do? Well, I better fight hard to prove to Christ that I really am a follower of His. You realize Jesus came, Why? to save us from sin. And so as you're there struggling with sin, the place to turn is to Jesus. Jesus, help me. I can't deal with this in my life. I'm back here again at the same sin or the same thing, or maybe it's a new thing. And God, how do, this is not where I want to be. Your Spirit's put into me this desire to be somewhere else, and yet here I am again. Jesus came to save sinners. And it doesn't, it's not like this distant, all right, I did my job at the cross, and now you have your faith in me, and now you're going to be working on freeing yourself from sin. No, Jesus is present in our life. We turn to Him, not just initially, to say, Lord, Save me, I see my sin. That, that's what it is to become a Christian. That's what it is to receive the Holy Spirit. It's, it's to put our faith in Christ. But the, the job's not done yet. And every one of you should know that. The job's not done yet. I am not perfectly in the image of Christ with thoughts that are pure and actions that are all perfectly good in everything that I do that are following exactly according to the will of God. No, that's not my life. It's growing into that. 
Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save me and you. Well, the Pharisees are perplexed. They understand the law. They understand what God wants. That's their whole culture. That's, that's their whole uh, nation was built on the direction that God gave them. And here's the law, and this is what you need to do, and this is what's good. They know what God wants. Yet this man who's claiming to be sent from God, and sometimes even claims by virtue of saving, forgiving sins, and other things that he's doing to be equal with God, and they're, they're already upset about those things, but, but this man, we see him now, and he's hanging out with Matthew and his friends. They are perplexed. They just, they don't get it. And I think their question is genuine. Why is, why is Jesus hanging out at Matthew's house? This makes no sense at all. So Jesus gives them an assignment. Go and do this. Jesus hears, or he knows what's in their heart. He gives an assignment. He says in verse 13, go and learn what this means. And then he quotes the prophet Hosea. He quotes from the Septuagint, the translation from the Hebrew here. It's, so this is written in Greek. He's quoting, <laughs> he's quoting a prophet that wrote in Hebrew, right? And so... Uh, at that time, there was a Septuagint. It was a Greek translation. We have the ESV. That's an English translation of the Bible. They had the Septuagint as a Greek translation. So he's, he's quoting from that, and he says, the quote is, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go learn what that means, and you will understand what this is all about. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. What does that mean? What was Hosea talking about? We have to go there to find out. So let's go look. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. Oh my goodness, I didn't put a bookmark. This is just to make you all feel good about the fact that we can't all find every book of the Bible. Some of them, there it is, smaller than others. All right, Hosea 6, chapter, or chapter 6, verse 6 is where that quote is from. But we're going to go back. Let's look starting in verse 4. There's these sections. Um, and this is beginning a section. It says, What shall I do with you? This is the word of the Lord through Hosea. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. What's he talking about here? Ephraim and Judah. Ephraim was uh, um, Joseph's son. Judah, the one, these are two tribes, uh, but, but they're representing here the northern division of Israel. There's a point where Israel divided up, and there was the, the northern kingdom that had ten tribes in it, and then the southern kingdom that had two Judah represents the southern kingdom. That's the one promise is going through Judah. Ephraim here is representing the northern kingdom. And this is the word of God saying, Oh, Ephraim, oh, Judah, the, the, don't miss the heart of God in this. 
He loves His chosen people. He's saying all of Israel. What should I do with you? Your love just disappears. It's like the morning cloud, like the dew that goes away. Your love for me. This time period, this this message from Hosea to Israel was was really the last message before judgment came. The northern kingdom was going to get destroyed, just wiped out. And this is the last warning. And and the book of Hosea is just... Well, how would you say it? Startling. Here, Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute so that you can be a picture of me with with my people Israel that have have not been faithful to me, but I'm going to continue to love them. I love them. And you're going to love this prostitute who's, who's going to go, and she's not going to be faithful to you. God is saying, your life is going to become a picture of what my experience as God has been with the people of Israel. And here we see God saying, oh, Ephraim, oh, Judah, what am I going to do with you? Your love is not lasting. And then verse 5, therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the word of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as light. They have broken the covenant. If I go back to Deuteronomy, God made a covenant with his people, and if you follow and do the things that I've said, there's going to be blessing. You'll be my people. But if you don't do them, there's going to be curse. And God in his justice, there's only one course following their apostasy, their turning away from him, is that judgment comes. And here's where that quote comes in. For I desire steadfast love, hesed in the Hebrew, and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Notice the Septuagint translated steadfast love as mercy. There's a, they're a little closer related there in the Greek. I desire, God says, from you, steadfast love, mercy, not sacrifice, not these burnt offerings. What, but, but God had given them these sacrifices, burnt offerings, do these things. But the purpose in those was that they would be a people, His people, that would desire Him. And what is He saying? You've, you've turned away from Me. You're serving other gods. You're like the prostitute, giving yourself to other gods, and yet you come in and, and do the offerings. You come in and do the things of worship, but your heart is not for me. He says, I don't want that stuff, what I've wanted from the beginning. I want your heart. I, I want you, relationship with you. Hesed. has to do with faithfulness, lasting loyalty, goodness, graciousness. Really, hesed is better translated to mercy when it's God's hesed, 
His mercy towards us is his love, his steadfast love towards us, enduring mercies. He says, that's what I want from you. Here's what God wants for us to understand here as we're understanding what does that mean. God wants my heart. It's important for us to see this. We can get into the Christian life. God wants me to read my Bible in the morning. God wants me to attend church regularly. And all good things, just like the the sacrifices, the, the offerings, those were good things God had created. But we can end up doing all these things and checking lists, but our heart is elsewhere. It's not what God wants. God wants our heart. As we do things, as we give, what, what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? God loves a cheerful giver. He, he wants, God has, God owns everything. As a church, God gave us, zero pennies spent, gave us six acres of land in a prime location to meet the needs of this community. He can do that, and yet He wants us to give. But He doesn't want us to give if our heart is not in it, right? It's an act of worship. And I would say as your pastor, maybe it goes counterintuitive, don't give if your heart's not in it. Give as worship to God, joyfully to Him. That's what he wants from me. He says, I don't want the sacrifice. I don't, want, I don't want to show. I want your heart, your hesed, your faithfulness, your steadfast love for me. Even when things are hard, things are difficult, I want you with your actions, in your giving, and not just financially, in everything you do to serve me, to do it out of your heart, loving me, your God. God wants my heart. You know, purity in my life will come about when my heart is set on Christ. Those things that need to be right. Separation from sin will come about when my eyes are set on the one who saves from sin. Right? When my heart is, and my desire is to please and to know and to follow and to spend time with and, and to know Jesus. God in flesh, the fullness of God in, in, in a person so, so that I can see the character and person of God in Jesus Christ. If my desire is for Him, He's the Savior from sin. My sin is going to start to be taken care of in my life. What did he say? You might have to go back on the slides. In verse 12, when Jesus heard what they were saying, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He's not suggesting that there's like two groups in the world, those who are already well. No, but they saw themselves as, oh, I don't, I'm following the righteous things, I'm doing the righteous things. 
No, I'm, Jesus was there to save sinners. And when we find ourselves dealing with sin, we turn to Him. Let our heart be set on Him. I'm struggling with this sin, but, but set the desires of my heart to Jesus. Get to know Him. Spend more time with Him. Then our sin is met with healing grace. Right? There's no condemnation. There's no guilt. He paid for it already. His grace at work in my life, transforming my desires to want Him more than what? The, the, the lie that sin offers. Sin is always pursuing a lie. That's what temptation is. It's a, it's a lie that says, here's a shortcut that's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to have any, any bad results. No. When our heart is set on Christ, there's freedom from sin. Look back at verse 9. Very beginning of this. Jesus is passing by the booth. Matthew, sitting there in the tax booth. The sinner. I'm sure there's all sorts of backstory, but Matthew doesn't give us much backstory on anything. Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. Matthew left everything. Left everything. That's, that's what the other gospels say. He, he doesn't want to make a big deal about himself. He's not going to hide who he is, and he's not going to make a big deal about his following Jesus. He's just going to say, I'm the sinner who followed Jesus. But those two words, profound words, here's our last point. I tried to say just two words follow me, but then you translate this to Spanish, and it's not two words anymore, and you go to the Greek, and it's one word, and it's like, oh, okay, profound words. Perhaps the most profound words to the human race is Jesus who came to save sinners, and he then says, follow me. It's a call to trust him, to respond with faith, to leave everything as Matthew did and say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow what you want. But it's even so much more than that. In those words is what? It's salvation from sin. He's the one who's meeting us in our sin, meeting us right where our struggle is, where we keep, and he's saying, follow me. Are, are you, as a Christian, still dealing with something in your life that you just can't get rid of? Well, Hear Jesus' words in your life. Follow me. Trust me. It might not make sense what I have for you to do, but trust me. Follow me. There's salvation in those words. There's forgiveness in those words. The, the reason Jesus is able to come into my life there and say, okay, now you get up and follow me is because of what he did on the cross. By his blood, I have been healed. The forgiveness through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, is there in those words, follow me. In those words is perfect, perfect hope. I agree with Raul. This has been a week <laughs> among weeks. A lot of hopelessness. In those two words, the whole world is being told, here is hope. Follow me. Perfect hope. In those words is freedom. 
That's what's the hope. I no longer am a slave to sin, even though I feel like it sometimes. Follow me. In those words is the freedom that only comes through Jesus Christ. He overcame sin. He overcame death. He is the one rescuing us out of sin. In those two words is the promise of healing. In those two words is surpassing joy. Why would someone like Matthew leave all and follow Jesus? Because he found something so much greater than anything else that his life had to offer. The riches that came with being a tax collector that also came with shame and guilt. No, he found the riches of God in Jesus Christ. It's freedom from sin. Do you find yourself facing guilt, facing shame, facing the same stuff again? Those words, follow me, are coming from a Savior who loves you. He loves you. You might be feeling like the world hates me. I can tell you one person who loved you enough to go all the way to the cross for you. And he says, in the kindest of words, follow me, trust me. Get to know me. Spend time with me. That's what follow. The words follow me have lost significance in these last few years. They actually added some definitions to our dictionary. What does it mean to follow someone? It, oh, it's Instagram. I'll, that's not what he's saying. It's so much deeper, so much more profound than how we use follow me or I'll follow you. No, to follow Christ is to abide with Him, to, to spend time with Him, to go everywhere with Him, to get into His Word and, and to get to know Him, to desperately seek Him. That's following Christ. It's, it's not what we've turned follow me into. It's absolutely changing my life, leaving other things in order to follow him. If, if you had to, in order to follow someone on Instagram, stop following everybody else. That's more like what it is. Click follow. Everybody else is gone. There's only one person I'm focused on. That's following Christ, right? That's so, so you youth can get a picture of what this is. Not everybody here does Instagram, believe it or not. You say, I am a sinner. Unfit. Jesus says, follow me. But I built this life up of my own. It's, I can't leave that behind. Jesus says, trust me, follow me. I'm trying to follow you, Jesus, but I'm struggling with sin. He says, look at me. Follow me. I don't have a slide for you, Alex, but I'm going to add one more. Hebrews. 
chapter 12, verse 1. He's just been a whole chapter talking about all these other people who put their faith, they have put their faith in Christ before Christ even existed. They put their faith in God who would provide a Savior. Now we have Jesus Christ. They are the witnesses. They are the ones that came before. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, <coughs> excuse me, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Believer, Christian, lay aside. The, that is the experience, sin that clings so closely, the weight of it. Jesus, I'm still dealing with this. Lay that aside and pursue His purpose in your life. It's the freedom that we have in Christ. So He says, lay off that and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your salvation. Thank you, Lord, that we are not without hope. Even when we're in a dark place, God, we want to follow you, but somehow we find ourselves in a place where we're back in that habit or that sin, or, or we've just gone the wrong way. We've made really bad decisions, and now we're facing the consequences. God, we are not without hope. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came not to go find righteous people, but you came to find those desperate for hope lost in sin, ready to turn towards you. God, I pray that you just, Holy Spirit, break us down. Let us see the sin within us that we would turn from it. We'd be mournful of it. God, so that we can turn to you and find hope, find healing, and find forgiveness in you, Lord Jesus. Find freedom. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've given us a purpose. You haven't just come to save us from our sin, but Lord Jesus, you're working through us so that others might also know the hope that is in you and might respond to those two words, Jesus, follow me. God, I pray that you would use us for that purpose. We wouldn't walk in condemnation, not walk in shame, but walk in the freedom that we have in you, Lord. Walk in the light of the purpose and path that you have for us. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Well, church, don't forget our membership class <laughs> this afternoon at 1.30 at the Bazochi's house. Um, if you're just interested in Hope Church, maybe you're not quite sure you're ready to be a member yet, still come. You'll, you'll get to know all your questions. That's the place to ask. Uh, we're going to go through what God is doing here in this church, um, what it's about. If you've been a part of us since the very beginning, but you still haven't actually gone through the membership class, I'd like you to go through that. Um, there's, a, there's an important reason for it, and that's what you'll find out when you're there. So um, hopefully we'll see you there if, if that's uh, the next step for you. Um, but otherwise, go in the Lord, church. I love you.